Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I like to call it, Dear Jess and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers and sometimes uh, just people answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But today, we're doing none of that. There's no dad joke, there's no Mars news, there's no John, there's no AFC Wimbledon. We have an expert to help us answer a question that has been driving us mad. It is not the question of whether or not sneezing is normal, which... Uh, will continue to drive us mad. It is the question of why then, there, and that can be answered by the questions, or are the answers to the questions when, where, and what? And to help answer this question, we are being joined by Jeff Zafaris, who is an author who has spent a lot of time studying etymology, has written a book on etymology, uh, and is also a journalist and has does a lot of a lot of different things. Jess, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show. So. I mean, at the very basic level, can you explain to me what is going on? Let's just start with that. Absolutely. So as I mentioned in the TikTok that I mentioned you in, a similar thing happens in a ton of languages, especially Indo-European languages, which is this giant language family comprised of many subfamilies of languages that are spoken today. The the families include like Germanic languages, which is like English and and German and Danish and um, like Hellenic languages, which is Greek and Italic languages, which is... Um, any of the romance languages that are derived from Latin. But but then, since I made this video, I've also been informed that there are similar constructions in languages like Japanese, which is not an Indo-European language. Whoa, right? So that's cool. Okay, it happens wild. all the time. Apparently, we just do that with these word concepts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, the, th- the thing that's so interesting about this is that like all of these words are invisible. So when I think about a word, I think about like cumulonimbus, where it's like, like, that's a word that somebody made up. But I don't think about like that or this or the, like, which are also right. words. Do they have a meaning? I guess. Does the have a meaning? Not really. <laughs> like, they're, they're not, the, it, 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 they are so universal, like so necessary to the construction of language that I don't think about them as words, which is why I think this was so surprising. And, you know, for, furthermore, um, those words are sometimes unnecessary. Like, 
the word that can be pleonastic in some cases, meaning it's it's just like redundant. So you can say right. like, I, I know that you're very clever, or you could just say, I know you're very clever, and it means the same thing. That yeah. word's not necessary. Which I notice, be- especially because I will often have that, that's. Um, I'll have a sentence with two that's, and then I'll take one out, and I'll be like, why did I put that, that there? Ugh. But but like it also reads just fine with the two that's. I don't have an example because I'm not as clever as you, but uh, but I'm, I'm sure that other people will have experienced this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like these words that there then have equivalents in lots of languages, and they often similarly correspond to other question type words. Like it's not a universal thing. Like every Indo-European language doesn't have the exact same structure for these exact same words. But you'll find parallels like this for question and answer word pairs everywhere. Um, it's mm-hmm. super clear in German and Dutch because they have some uh, very clear parallels because, like English, they are Germanic languages. Right. To actually dig into it, I suppose we should start with with that, like I did before, because I, I think it's the easiest. And and to back up a little bit, you you sort of addressed this earlier. But you can start with okay. the as the base word, because all of these words are related to the word the. I mean, I guess I addressed that earlier, but like that, that now I can't talk because I'm thinking about words, but the, that fact would never have occurred to me. It's wild. <laughs> but of course, of course, all of these things are like, are, are like they are all related to each other and they all come from the or they all come from whatever word was the. It's a, you know. it is a proto-Indo-European root that leads to our article V. So yeah. yes, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they all sort of like, the interesting thing is they all keep up with each other. Mm-hmm. So like as the changes, all like that, this, there, those things all changed as well. So like in German, I'm sure that it's like da, das, da, like similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they all sort of like evolve together. Yeah, uh, that that is true. And also, you know, even in Old English, the word V was spelled not with a TH, but with the character thorn. So oh, of course. it's even Everybody changed in English. Thorn. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so anyway, that we talked about how it's kind of like a ubiquitous word and it can be used as a ton of different parts of speech, noun, adjective, adverb, pronoun. Um, in this case, it's easiest to talk about it as a demonstrative word when it's used to point at things in concepts like that pen or that book where it behaves like mm-hmm. an adjective or just replacing the whole phrase with that so it acts like a pronoun. So is that now, now I've had a thought. Is there a relationship between that and at? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, so the word at is considered, the preposition at is considered to have a different Indo-European root than the ending of the word that, but um, okay. then the ending of the word that. But it is notable that even in Old English, the ending of the word that was spelled the same as the Old English equivalent of the word at. And hmm. it's notable that... Uh, to convey directing something towards something else does the same thing. Um, right. And then, you know, ultimately the word at is also ultimately cog- cognate with other words too. So like um, at is cognate with the Latin word and prefix ad. So the one in like advertise, adjective, address, even mm. in like accuse, things like that. Um, so, so at does other things, um, so to say they're unrelated is a bit of an oversimplification, but they okay. do both do their own things in other words, in other words and word elements. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, what, what, what interests, like, what is interesting to me suddenly about this is like, we have, we've, we've sort of taken like the at and the O's and the air and what are, like, what are those 
at O's Air. Like, where did those things come from? Is that a, did they come from, did we just decide or what? Exactly. So uh, with the article, the is our base word, we can like, like we said, point at things by adding these demonstrative endings. And that's this, that, these, and those. So is, eat, that, ease, o's. Um, so these demonstrative <laughs> end- endings are the letters after the TH in the words this, that, these, and those. Um, I haven't done this without having some sort of visual element. So apologies if I repeat myself <laughs> in, in the interest of clarity. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's easier with visuals, but we're going to get there. We're also going to break everybody's ability to understand language (laughs) because now every time I or you say that my brain turns Mm -hmm. off (laughs) so each of these pointy endings as I've called them provides like slightly different information this and these pointed things that are in front of us um that point that and those pointed things that are are not in front of us and that can be like literally anywhere else it's this and these are Mm -hmm. much more specific um so if we take the word that that points at at things it's since it's sort of the broadest um, it tends to be the word that you would attach other suffixes to that could make it have additional information on it, like uh, a, give it a location or a time. And in that case, that would be that plus air equals there. You've added location information mm. to that by adding the ending air. Uh, and then with time, it's that plus n gives you then. <laughs> That's so weird. Did people did people decide this? I imagine in terms of like the development of language, it's it is like it is a, it is a simultaneous decision making that happens with like the simplest right. words in our language. We we develop a way to communicate yeah. all together, and and typically, you know, we say that there's a um, this one proto root language, proto Indo European, that unites all of the languages that I've been talking about, mm-hmm. and the constructions that were used in this very fundamental, it, it's technically a theoretical root language, but it is very strongly evidenced. Right, we don't yeah, have We it. don't have written yeah. records yeah. of this. These were, when this was the step after we were grunting at each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it makes me think like, I like I don't know for sure, but I would guess that first you had uh, like these things like that, which is a pretty specific idea. And then you had things like, um, and and probably the last one of these would be then, where you're talking about in time. So right. that's very conceptual. Four dimensional. Like it doesn't like well, yeah. Where does that thing exist? It exists at a time, not a place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and like what an innovation that would have been. And like and of course immediately people would have started using that word, but like you had to think of it first in order to start to use it. And and how you like how tremendously useful. That would be and how hard language would be without that innovation. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Um, so anyway, to continue, just to reiterate. <laughs> to continue. I don't have another question for you, but please continue. <laughs> we we now know that that these endings, at, air, n, point at things. We've got at points at things and concepts, air points at mm-hmm. places, n points at times. So when we want to make words like what, where, and when, obviously we've swapped out that TH and put in a WH. And what has happened right. here is that um, in it is a recurring trait of Indo-European languages and, and possibly other languages as well, but I, I can't fully speak to that. Um, but to have mm-hmm. some sort of interrogative root or word forming element that means just like, huh? And... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can put it on other words and elements uh-huh. to turn them into question words. So like 
a lot of our question words start with WH. And and mm-hmm. it's because they all have that that root, that word forming word piece. Um so in like Latin and French and other languages, the question forming word piece is a QU, and in German it's a W, and in English it's a WH. Um and then in old English it was actually HW. And that's that's kind of interesting because the sh- when. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> but see the, the shift to um WH happened for a few reasons. So in old English, the letter H represented a couple of different kinds of H's um, that we mm-hmm. would consider H's now. But the one at the beginning of this word was a harder sound. And it, it's a little more nuanced than this, but it's sort of like the CH sound in the words like loch or blech. So like mm-hmm. that was a sound that was common in Old English, and it was often represented by just the letter H. Um, so like if you've ever right. said what, you're, you're just being Old English. <laughs> <laughs> Because oh, I was thinking to myself, well, I would never do that, but you're right. I probably have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also very like Hank Hill from uh, King of the Hill. Yeah, I'll tell you yeah, what, totally. you know. Um, so uh, the sound was hard to pronounce in French. Um, and that's key because after the Norman invasion of England in the 11th century, that's how we got oh to Middle English. The, the Germanic language of Old English, the language of the Anglo-Saxon was, uh, mm-hmm. was infused with an absolute avalanche of Norman French words. And most of these were Latin-derived, uh, which is why now about 60% of modern English is made up of French and Latin-derived words, and only 25% are Germanic-derived, but it's still a Germanic language because our foundational right. grammar our rules grammar. are yeah. still Old English. Um, but because <gasps> That's so weird! It's wild. <laughs> but because the okay. Normans largely came to be, be the ruling class and therefore wrote a lot of the history and determined a lot of the rules in England, parts of it, like that black sound phased out. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, the letter combination in words like daughter and slaughter used to just be a letter H and it was pronounced. So it was like doctor and slaughter and that GH was meant to convey the harder H sound, but French people were bad at pronouncing it. So it faded Mm -hmm. out to being a silent GH. Yeah. So another thing we can be frustrated with there. What? Um, Okay. So, so these, these interrogative, things and it, like i guess it just makes perfect sense like you have the you have the that and then you like you you just like slap on the question and you have the what mm-hmm, exactly so if we want to ask somebody to help us identify a thing a place or a time we take our pointy endings and mm-hmm. at air went at air n um and then we uh take our question forming word suffix that sort of eh, sound concept to get what where and when so an interesting thing is that there there are the pointing words and they don't have to all have a question because what does that for all of them so like there's like this and there isn't a whis because what does it already yes that is correct because th- like this and that can both be answered by what right so we don't need we don't it. need multiple we don't need multiple what's yeah. so we go with the broadest one like that yeah we don't need of, like we don't need a this for the thing that's we don't need a what for the thing that's right in front of us and a what the thi- for the thing that's far away because we can say what is that or what is right. this either way I mean if if we know typically this we we can tell pretty clearly I mean we can say what is this but um, it is yeah. the question word tends to be the broadest or it tends to attach to that because it is the broadest in terms of this, right. that, these, and those. I can't believe we have this, that, these, and those. And they, and like, and I'm like, of course I know what those mean. 
Like I've never, never even thought about like what the difference between like where the line between this and that is. Like how far away does it have to be? I just know. You might also find this interesting. Um, you'll notice that here doesn't fit in quite with any of these words because it, it doesn't start with a th like there does. It's closer to us, and oh, here matches up with this. Crap! I, I didn't notice that. <laughs> I didn't think of here at all. Yeah. Um, and, and I can also talk about like whence and thence, which is also like a thing like the, that answers that. Well, but I don't care about whence <laughs> and thence because they're gone. Right. They're, they're, they're dead to <laughs> me, but don't leave, don't leave me hanging on, on there and here and where. Yeah. So here, here is funny. Um, it has the same lo- location based ending as there, obviously, but it, do- it doesn't mm-hmm. have that TH and that's because the base word here is not the, but he, Third-person pronouns for humans, like I said, weren't he, she, and they until the 12th century. And instead, all third-person pronouns were variations of of he and were a bunch of different cases and genders that you would convey additional meaning to by adding endings to he. And there was like a a feminine and there was Mm. a there were various feminines and various neuters and various plurals. Um, So he was your base for all your pronouns. And you can see that in holdover words like him and her, which are closer to Old English than like she and they. Um, And then even the word it was the word hit in Old English, which is the neuter nominative accusative form of he. Of he. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all the words you just said didn't make any sense to me, but it still like came came through as like uh, uh, the fact like the, the reality that that it was was a modification of the pronoun he. The the point is the base word of here is he, and that locational ending gives here the literal meaning of the place he puts himself or the place one right. puts oneself. And so uh, so am I missing any others? Wherefore and therefore, and actually a, a number of ones related to that. But those are those are probably the most common ones that we use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if you've studied Romeo and Juliet, which I'm sure you have, wherefore right. means why. It's like, why are you Romeo? Why are you that one dude my dad won't let me go out with? Mm-hmm. And therefore is a potential answer to that question, just like there is a potential answer to where. I honestly thought that wherefore art thou Romeo meant like, where are you at? No, it, it means why. That's kind of like the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's like she's she's going out on, on this balcony to be like, oh, why can't I date this guy? That's uh-huh. totally it. Um, <laughs> but but the like why wherefore means why is kind of interesting because like it, where and for why does that add up to why? Um, and and the best way I've been able to like grasp and and explain it is with a formula. <laughs> Let's see if I can do this um, and do some word math um, without drawing it out. But um, basically, you take here, here, there, and where, and you transform them into. Um, demonstrative pronouns and then you attach a preposition to tell the transformed word what to do i know that didn't make sense um (laughs) but it does (laughs) so uh, for example think about the word therein um it's also a word just like wherefore so like if you add there to a preposition like in in this case uh then you get that preposition plus that so there plus in means in that. So when you say the word therein, the, what mm-hmm. you're actually saying is in that. And one of the reasons, <laughs> right, it, this is not it, Which logical. makes sense because I know that, but it doesn't make sense. Right. And one of the reasons we, uh, one of the holdovers where you see a lot of words like this is in legal documentation because their primary function is to prevent you from having to repeat the same things over and over again. And when we're chatting with our friends, we don't care 
about having to say in that over and over again. But uh, mm-hmm. if you if you say therein, you don't have to say like in that document every time you talk about it. And this works with there, here, and where with like lots of prepositions. So like uh, herein means in this something or other. Mm-hmm. Hereabouts means around this. Uh, wherein oh, means yeah. in what. Whereabouts means about what or around around what. And wherewith means like with what. So like each one of those corresponds to our original like base word where and what here and this and there and that. But then you add other information and it transforms them into basically what they originally were. So with wherefore and therefore, it, it helps to know that in older forms of English, for was a real workhorse of a word, both with an E and without an E. It could mean the same thing as the preposition for does now, but it could also me- mean things like before and toward. So it had it had lots of information attached to it. So in this case, when you add it to, like when you add for to where to make it wherefore, you are literally saying for what reason? And, and the reason is kind of in parentheses mm-hmm. here. Um, and same with therefore, you're saying for that reason or for that purpose. And it literally means toward what reason or toward what purpose in that case, because the for implies Where? direction. So like, it's often that I think about etymology as like, oh, I want to know the weird reason why this word is related to that word. And uh, but th- this conversation has given me a, a, a much better and I'm sure I'll lose it immediately. Um, but a much better understanding of like how language is constructed by the people who create it than uh, I have uh, ever had, um, it, it, which is very weird. Because like you, like I'm just not like I'm not used to looking at like the building blocks. You know, I'm used to looking at the foundation. And I guess I haven't really like done any foundational work since like high school grammar class. And even then, it wasn't really about the foundation as much as it was about like. Um, uh, or about understanding how it was built as it was as under like just understanding that it exists and how it exists. That's very true. Uh, a lot of times our, our grammar rules are this does this, but not why does this do that? Yeah. You know? yeah, which is also, that's not just an English problem that to do science communication. We do that in science like mad in school and it frustrates me to no end. Um, I think part of it too yeah. with English is just that because it's such a, a combination of other languages, like, we don't focus on like educating anyone in in the structures of old english because a lot of what we say is not old english yeah yeah why would why would we it's it's uh it's not particularly useful it is just fascinating it is it really is <laughs> oh my gosh well i didn't expect us to talk for as long as we have but i'm so glad that we did um where can we find more of what you do oh thank you so much for asking i um my, my largest channel in the, the area in which I post the majority of my etymology knowledge is on TikTok at Jess Zafaris. Um, I, I post probably two to three times a week these days, but um, because TikTok has expanded to three minutes, I'm doing some bigger deep yeah. dives, which is uh-huh. fun. Yep. Um, so that's, that's a good one. I also, I write uh, a blog about etymology with some related information, uh, and it's called Useless Etymology. Um, cool. And then I have a book called Once Upon a Word that I think both kids and parents will enjoy. Hmm. What what kids age would the kids be? It is written for ages nine to 13, but I am told that clever children as, old, as young as five enjoy it a lot. And then their parents tend to borrow it. 
So Okay. Uh, well, I can't wait to get it. And I'm so grateful to you for coming on and explaining uh, this rather complicated but delightful facet of, of Proto-Indo-European or Indo-European languages. And, um, and I was just, I was delighted the entire time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. This was an absolute delight. And uh, if you ever should have need for silly word origins, deep dives, and other quirks of the English language, I would be very happy to join you again. I would love, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. For everyone else out there, we're going to be back with Normal Dear Hank and John next Monday. As usual, we took a break to take a breath. And I'll tell you what, I didn't. I just worked through all of the time I normally would have been podcasting. But I got a lot of important work done. And maybe that means that in the future I'll have to do less. But we'll be back with normal episodes next week. Thank you. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be awesome. Awesome.